Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. So today's episode is about a crazy woman. So she's in her 40s. She's five foot two. She's an Emirates stewardess. So one day she's in a plane and the plane lands in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And she realizes that in this city, there's something along the lines of 50,000 slums and millions of people are living in poverty. Though she's going through these slums and she sees all of these kids with no place to live, bathing in muddy water, not having enough food to eat, and she decides she has to do something. So she decides she wants to raise money to help these kids. She ends up Googling how to raise money, and she finds an article about Mustafa Salameh, who, as you know, was a previous guest on this podcast, and she discovers that he had raised up to $4 million climbing Everest. And you somehow decided you were going to climb Everest. Yeah, this is the dream. How I old wake were up. you? I was 34. Mustafa was a Palestinian refugee who chose to become a mountain climber. And he climbed all seven of the tallest peaks on all seven continents. So this inspires Maria, the stewardess. And she decides, well, I want to start climbing mountains. What she proceeds to do is not just climb mountains. She becomes one of the world's greatest athletes, holding 10 Guinness World Records. But she does all of this for one insane reason, to raise money, to take kids out of the slums of Bangladesh and fund their education. So I'm so proud to bring Maria Concesao back on the Mind Valley podcast to share her incredible story and some profound lessons that you can learn from this insane story that you're about to hear. Get ready for an extreme dose of inspiration. Maria, welcome back to the Mind Valley podcast. Thank you for having me. So we're recording this in Tallinn, Estonia, and I understand that your boyfriend actually wanted to take a holiday in Phuket a nice warm place and you convinced him to come to Tallinn in the middle of winter when we have four hours of sunlight and minus one degree weather. What's going on there? Do you just like extreme pain? (laughs) No, I came here to advance. It was an opportunity to come here and meet people. Uh So next year I can go next level. I see. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to have you in Tallinn. And, and while you're here, I wanted to use this opportunity to get you on the show. So you've broken so many incredible records. Let me read it out, okay? So this is directly from Maria's website. Fastest time to complete an Ironman triathlon. Fastest simulated distance climbed on a ladder machine in one hour by a female. That's a recent record, right? Yes. What was the distance? Do you remember? Uh, nearly double Burj Khalifa. In one hour. Damn. Twice the Burj Khalifa in one hour. Okay, fastest aggregate time to run a marathon and ultramarathon on each continent. Fastest time to run a marathon and ultramarathon on each continent. Fastest aggregate time to run an ultramarathon on each continent. So aggregate is the, is the if you add up the times of all the different yes. runs. So that's seven marathons, seven continents, right? Mm-hmm. And we go on and on. Most consecutive days running an official ultramarathon. Six Ironmans and six continents. First Portuguese woman to summit Mount Everest. First Portuguese woman to the North Pole and South Pole. And not only that, but you've won a string of awards. For example, Emirates Humanitarian Woman of the Year. But you did all of this simply because you wanted to fund the education of these 600 kids. So let's start with that story. 
You were an Emirates stewardess. The plane landed in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and you went to visit the slums of Bangladesh. What did you see that that stirred your heart in such a way? More than seeing the poverty, all I could see was so much potential going down to waste. People, when they go to third world countries, they only see the poverty. But all I could see was so many kids with so much potential that would go to waste if no one did something to help them. I always thought uh-huh. I came from I, I came from a very poor background right. myself, humble background. But I didn't know the meaning of poverty until I went to Bangladesh. I couldn't believe that four hours away from where I was living, people they could actually live that way. So I just wanted to do something. I thought it, it was horrible that human beings they could live like this. But you grew up in poverty yourself. I know, but I felt so privileged when I went to Bangladesh. I thought, oh my God, thank God for everything I had and didn't have. But you grew up in poverty yourself. Tell us about that. So I was abandoned when I was two years old and I was taken care by a poor refugee woman from Angola. She was illiterate. She was a widow. She had six kids of her own. And when she, she didn't hesitate to offer help. So she was a part-time cleaner. She, worked, she earned her living by being a cleaner. But it's not like a cleaner now. These days you have a full-time job, you know exactly where is your paycheck mm. is going to come from. She didn't. She was a free-time, uh, freelance cleaner. So she never knew. She lived day by day. Yet she didn't hesitate to offer help. So I became her seventh child. She used to say when the social services, they used to come to take me away from her and put me in orphanage. She used to say who feeds six, feeds seven, where six children they feed. Seven. So I became her seventh child. So she had six kids of her own. Six and kids of her own. This was in Portugal? She, in Portugal. Wow. So she, uh, the war broke in Angola. So yeah. she, she came to Portugal because she was married with a Portuguese gentleman. I see. Unfortunately, he died before she could get the status as a, you know, her daughter. Right. Yeah. So, so she, she was a refugee. On, she was a refugee. She was living. Uh, and, and what happened to you that made you, as a, as a two year old child, that put you in poverty? I'm. Um, the daughter of a single mom. Uh-huh. You don't know what happened. Only the daughter. You lost your mother. I lost my mother when I was... My first mother, I lost her when I was two years old. Yeah. She showed up in this village. She met Christina, this poor refugee woman from right. Angola. She shared her struggles with her. Mm-hmm. And she told her she was struggling. She couldn't find a job. And it was hard with a two-year-old. I see. So Christina offered help. Wow. And your mother disappeared. And my mother left to Lisbon six, seven hours away from the village. I see. And she never showed up. Are you still connected to your mother? Which one? The... Your first, your biological mother. So when I was 22 years old, uh, she left my birth certificate with Christina. I see. So I went to the place where you make the birth certificate. Yeah. And I found the address and I went to meet my mother. So I you found, met your mother. I met my mom when I was 22 years old. I met her in an old people's home. I see. Was she proud of you? Could she, she remember? She completely lost uh, memory. I see. So the doctors, they seem to think that she it was it's not diagnosed. Um, she was not. She didn't have Alzheimer's or right. dementia. They seem to think that she was victim of uh, domestic abuse. Wow. And she was beaten up so badly to the point that she completely faced amnesia. She cut everything out. And, and so Christina, this poor refugee woman, raised you. She raised me. And at one point, I understand that you were so poor, you were a toilet cleaner. So she raised me up to when I was nine years old. Uh-huh. Then Christina passed away of a sudden heart attack. Before she passed away, she asked my her older daughters and sisters to take care of take care yeah. of me. So from the age of twelve, I stopped going to school, and pretty much from that point onwards, I was told the only thing I could expect in life was to be a cleaner. So when I was eighteen, 
I left Portugal. And what is the jobs there for a girl who left school when she was 12 years old, right. being a cleaner? So I, was, I did all sorts. I was working in a pub, cleaning toilets. When you're an immigrant in another country, you do anything that pays the bills, right? So As a teenager, you were cleaning toilets to survive. How did you go from that to joining Emirates Airlines? So I moved to UK. I was working in UK. Uh -huh. And then I was always looking for better opportunities. I went to the job center looking for a job, nine to five. <laughs> and then the gentleman at the job center, they told me Emirates Airlines was recruiting and I would be a suitable candidate. Actually, he sent my application. I and see. then I was invited for a job interview. I went for the job interview. There was 100 candidates. Uh -huh. And I was thinking, how can I stand up, stand out? Right. Because there is 100 candidates. And it was very, uh, it's a very in uh, intense uh, recruitment process. Right. So I went to Benetton. Mm-hmm. And I got the suit that he resembled. I thought the only way I can pass this job interview is by going to this job interview, not as I'm looking for a job, as I am already a cabin crew myself. So uh -huh. I went for the job interview. I right. had the, the suit that he resembles at, uh, as an Emirates cabin crew. And I did the makeup. I learned everything, A to Z. What to, and I passed the job interview. There was 100 candidates, only two of us we got the wow. job. Wow, that's incredible. And, I was and, it, and it was that experience working for Emirates Airlines that caused you to go on this incredible journey. My Emirates completely changed my life. When I got the job, Vishen, it was like I won the lottery. I couldn't believe I was being paid to travel to all these amazing destinations, Seychelles, Maldives, Mauritius, living a life. How of, old were you? I was 26 years old. I see. I really truly thought I, I couldn't believe. I felt like I really, truly won the lottery. Now, as you started on this journey to break records, to pull these kids out of poverty, it wasn't always easy. And I know your story, and there's, there was a moment when you were $200,000 in debt. You'd given everything you had to help these kids, and you were $200,000 in debt. And something happened, a near miracle. Tell us that story. So I was looking for solutions. I went on Google. I always go to Google for solutions. Uh -huh. And uh, I typed and uh, I came across that if I swam from England to France, I could make a lot of money by getting, getting endorsements and sponsorships. So I signed up to swim across the English Channel. Three things that you have to do when you swim the English Channel. You have to sign up with the Channel Swimming Association. Tick the list. You have to find a pilot to escort you. I've done it. And then you have to get a medical certificate to, to say that you're fit to swim across the English Channel. So I went to the doctor, I got my medical certificate. And then obviously you have to start training. But there was just a tiny little problem. I didn't know how to swim when I, I signed up to do all this. But I, why would it be a challenge? Uh, why would not being knowing, knowing how to swim being an obstacle to swim across the English Channel? So I just thought, you know, a lawyer is not a lawyer when he's born. Uh, IT guy is not, uh, IT doctor is not a doctor, and certainly no one learned how to swim when they were born. So I just thought, what do people they need to do to learn how to swim? They find a swimming coach. So I found uh, Kevin Milledick, a lovely uh, American swimming coach. Uh -huh. So I went to him to teach me how to swim. I have to be honest, I totally, totally underestimated how technical and how difficult it was going to go to learn how to swim. So I started swimming. Uh, I started by learning how to float in the water. Then I started learning my 21st, uh, 25 meters, 100 meters. 
So I kept going. Three mm -hmm. months later, Kevin sits me down and he told me, Maria, I have taught you everything there is about swimming and you're still not moving in the water. I went home and I cried. And Kevin thought he will never see me again and that I was going to cancel the swimming, uh, swimming uh -huh. across the English Channel. But cancelling the swimming was not an option because I needed the money. So I went back to Kevin and Kevin told me, you know, Maria, I'd always thought after the last shot we had, I was not never going to see you again. Most people, most swimmers, after the talk I had with you, they would not come back. They would just give up. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long it's going to take me to teach you how to swim, but I'm going to teach you how to swim. So we kept training, kept training, kept training. And then finally, one day he tells me, Maria, you're ready for swimming on open water. Because up to that point, uh, we were all doing all my training on a 25 meter pool. And I did what I do always. I registered for my first race. I went to the race with Shuli, one of our 15 year old kids. One of the first kids joined the project. She was living in Dubai studying at the time. And my boyfriend, they, they came to support me and to give me a lift. I started to swim. Oh, Vishen, I was so excited. Butterflies, I put my hat, my goggles. And I started swimming, my first swimming in the sea. And I'm swimming, 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 and I don't see anybody. So this, this was the English Channel? No, this was in Dubai, my first race. On ah, this was in Dubai, okay. In Dubai. So I thought to myself, oh my God, I'm such a gifted open water swimming. I'm, I'm gonna even win this first race. And when I, re I and meanwhile, on a shore, my partner, uh -huh. he tells, surely, Look, there goes Maria. And Shuli said, there is so many swimmers. How do you know he's Maria? Because he's the only swimmer going swimming the wrong direction. You see, when you swim in a pool, uh -huh. there is a black line, and you just right. follow the black line. When you swim in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a open water, there is no. So I was zigzagging. So I finished the swim, and people, they were laughing at me. How is she going to swim to English Channel? She cannot even go the right direction. <laughs> And I told myself, you know how I'm going to swim Tingla Channel? I'm going to swim Tingla Channel one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. And people, they were making fun. But I never stopped believing that I could. So one year later, finally, uh, I mean, uh, eventually 31st of August uh -huh. 2016, I'm ready to swim across Tingla Channel. The day came. And it was really important that I swim across Tingla Channel because... Uh, I woke up that morning and I had uh, emails from the school saying if I didn't pay the school debts, they were going to take me to court. Wow. So this but was from a school. And how many kids' education were you funding? At the time, I had 200 kids in that school. So if you didn't swim the English Channel, if you failed, 200 kids that you supported they were going to be kicked out of school. school. And they were going to be forced into child labor. Because they'd the, be going back to the slums. Where, where was the school? In Bangladesh? In Bangladesh. And they would be forced to get, the girls, they would definitely be forced to get married with someone two, three times their age. So these 13-year-old girls would have been forced into marriage? 10, 12, 13-year-old. So let me get this straight. You had to swim the English Channel because if you didn't swim the English Channel, these 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old girls, 200 people, 200 kids that you supported, were going to be kicked out of school because you were paying for all of their education. They would have to go back to the slums and they were going to be forced into marriage. The girls, at least, were going to be forced into marriage to men in their 30s and 40s as child brides. This is how it is and has, this is what's happening that in the slums of Bangladesh. That is an insane amount of pressure. Yes. I can't imagine anyone going through that intensity. That is my day-to-day -day life. Every single day, every single hour, every single minute, every single second. The last 18 and a half years, vision. So let's go on to, to, to that moment, attempting to swim the English Channel. So I started to swim. Everything was going well. 
It was a beautiful day, but unfortunately, I underestimated uh, currents. Uh So I swam seven hours, uh, you know, 15 kilometers, and seven hours later, the pilot told me the currents, they were shifting me to a different... So they aborted the swim. It was horrible. When I came on a... When I came back on a boat, I just start, I start crying because I knew then, Mike. Now, how am I going to go home? How close were you? You swam. Uh, I was f- halfway. Halfway there, so it's around thirty kilometers. Yes. And you had swam 32. fifteen. Fifteen. Fifteen kilometers. Tide wow. assisted. Right, right. And then they had to abort the swim because you were moving in the wrong direction. I was moving in the wrong direction, and I thought it was not safe. Yeah. They thought I would never. So they pulled you out of the boat, and as you get in the boat, you realize that these two hundred kids are. You failed them. They're going to be cast out of school. Tell us what happened. I just thought that I had failed the kids. I had failed the parents. I had failed the sponsors that they supported my me during that one year of training. And I, did, I just cried like they all had died, you know. So when I got home, I, I thought I, roll, I have to roll up the sleeves. And I couldn't believe. Meanwhile, or the time that I got home, I... <laughs> what I, it seemed that it was a failure on paper actually had been the best, one of my biggest success in life. How so? Because Portugal was on the Portuguese radio was treating my swim as a national emergency. I didn't know while I was swimming these seven hours, people they were texting my boyfriend at the Wi-Fi was not working, telling him, please tell Maria to stop swimming. We will support her. We will pay the school fees of the kids for her to tell her to stop swimming. So the people of Portugal were like tuned in to this entire event on radio. During seven hours. For seven hours. They were following me. I think they were just following me because they really thought I was going to drown. Right. And uh, uh, that morning when I left for the swim, I had Uh 500 followers. Right. When I came home, I couldn't believe it. I had 12,000 followers and these 12,000 followers each invested and he paid my the school. He paid all the school debts. Wow! So 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 think about that. That's incredible. So these twelve thousand followers on Instagram from Portugal who were cheering on for Maria, they banded together and put up two hundred thousand dollars to fund the education mm-hmm. of these girls. And then I won the GQ Woman of the Year awards. Remember? <laughs> oh, actually, you won I, GQ Woman I, of the Year. I didn't know GQ was following my uh-huh. whole story about right. me. So they were following all the swim, and they were had planned when I swam successfully. I swam across the English Channel. Right. They were going to give me the award. Normally, they give the award to a man. Right. But that year, they decided they were going to give it to me. Uh-huh. So the editor and the GQ staff they were following the swim. And then when they saw that the swim had been aborted and cancelled, they thought, oh, we have to give the award to someone else. Right. Because she didn't make it. And then the editor, Jose Santana, said, no, we have, we have to give it to her. She learned how to swim to help these kids. She made it. Right. Either she made it to the... So they, they decided to give me the award. The first time that they gave an award that is supposed to be to a man, to a woman. And that really gave me a big lifeline in 2016. That, that's incredible. So what did you learn from that experience? What I learned with the English with the English Channel is keep swimming. Even if you're going to wrong direction, keep swimming because the tides, they will eventually change. If the pilot had not uh, canceled my, uh, aborted my swim, the tide would eventually take me the right direction. So just keep swimming because eventually the tide will change in your favor. That's a beautiful message. Keep swimming. 
because even if the tide is going in the wrong direction, the tide will eventually change. In your favor. I love that. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful message. What I like about you and what I appreciate about you, Maria, is that I know so many people who are breaking Guinness records. I know so many people who have done incredible feats of endurance, David Goggins type people, um, mountain climbers like Mustafa Salamir. All of these are incredible individuals. But what's curious about you is a lot of the other people who are achieving records are doing it 